Today we begin a new series entitled Believers in Babylon, Living in a Strange Land as Exiles. So for the next ten weeks we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. We see that Daniel is a divine manual to teach us how to live as exiles in a strange land. The book of Daniel was written about 600 years before the coming of Christ and it's set in a period of time known as the exile. Now you see God's people had been disobedient to God's word and as a result of their disobedience they lost everything. They lost their homes, their jobs, families were separated, the land was devastated, and the temple was destroyed. But regardless of their disobedience, God had been faithful to tell the people about the coming exile. God used the prophet Jeremiah to forecast the exile and to call God's people to worship even as they were living as exiles in a strange land. I want you to listen to Jeremiah chapter 1 and then verses, verse 1 and verses 14 through 13 as God calls us to worship this morning. These are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from, from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. And here we have his call to worship. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Now you might be sitting there thinking, what does the book of Daniel have to do with me? And my response would be, a lot. Believers in Christ must remember that this world is not our home. We are foreigners and strangers living in exile. And this is exactly how the Apostle Peter viewed the church. This is exactly how he viewed believers in Christ. As he begins his first epistle, he writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And then he would later write in the epistle, 
Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. See, the Apostle Peter's ecclesiology, his doctrine of the church, was that believers are exiles living in a foreign land where morality and spirituality are viewed vastly different than what we find in God's Word. The problem is that believers face in this world is that the world wants us to conform to their view. And the world considers those who do not conform to their view to be closed-minded bigots. But God's Word tells us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we may prove what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, how do we as believers live in the world without being part of it? How do we as believers live in the world without being part of it? And since this question has believers have asked throughout the ages, God has given us a divine manual to teach us how to live as exiles in a strange land. And that manual is the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is found in the Old Testament in the prophetic books and Christians have been so obsessed by reading the book of Daniel with the view of end times that they've missed its main message. The main message that God is in control no matter how messed up the world is. The main message that the establishment of the kingdom of God Well, that's his number one priority. The message that believers are in exile, scattered throughout the providences of this world, called by God's grace to live for the glory of God. It seems to me that Christians need to develop a theology of being in the world, but not of it. A theology of living as exiles. And I believe that the book of Daniel is one of the best resources given by God for us to develop that type of theology. Now, the majesty of the book of Daniel is that it was written in the time of the Babylonian captivity. When the Babylonian army marched into Jerusalem and carried off thousands of Israelites, forcing them to walk hundreds of miles across the desert to Babylon. And so it was that many of God's people found themselves living in a foreign land, living as exiles in Babylon, among a people who did not share their biblical worldview or their biblical lifestyle. The psalmist records the thoughts of these exiles in Psalms 37. By the rivers of Babylon... There we sat down and wept as we remembered Zion. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. See, the exiled people of God sat by the rivers of one of the most magnificent cities known to the world, Babylon. With its impressive buildings and its hanging gardens... But as they sat there, they longed for another city, Zion. 
The city whose architect and builder is God. Now what is so interesting is that God takes this historical event of the Babylonian captivity. And then he uses it as a metaphor within the scriptures as we go in time. Describing the longings of God's people throughout the ages as each generation of God's people sit in their own Babylon. Awaiting the kingdom of this world to become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ where Christ will reign forever and ever. Amen? See, chapter 1 of Daniel sets the stage for the rest of the book. It begins by describing the collapse of the southern kingdom and the rise of the Babylonian empire. Now remember I told you that the main message of the book of Daniel is that God is in control no matter how messed up the world is. That establishing the kingdom of God is God's number one priority. And that believers are called to live in exile for the glory of God in this world. And you will see each of these points in chapter 1 and you'll see each of these points throughout the book of Daniel. Verse 1 begins, In the year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and to put in the treasure house of his God. Now, if you know anything about world history, we see that the Assyrian Empire had reigned for 150 years. But now a new empire was arising under the energetic leadership of this youthful king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylonia. Nebuchadnezzar's army, first of all, headed north into Assyria and defeated the Assyrians, a mighty, mighty people of war. And then they went southward all the way to Egypt where they defeated the Egyptian, another powerful army of that day. And of course, as they marched from Assyria down to Egypt, they conquered every small country in between, including the southern kingdom of Israel. Now, remember that even though the Bible is in concert with world history, the main objective of Scripture is to record history as it relates to the redemptive purposes of God. So, God's Word records world history through the lens of redemptive history. And this is how it's recorded here in the first two verses of the book of Daniel. Basically, the people of God had lost the three symbols of their identity through the Babylonian invasion. They lost the land from which the Messiah would be born. They lost their king from which the Messiah would rise. They lost their temple from which their worship pointed to the fulfillment of God's redeeming work through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It was all gone. 
collapsed. So you have to ask yourself, why? I mean, God had set up the southern kingdom to be the people and the land and the temple that would usher in the Christ. And now it's gone. It's collapsed. Why? Well, the text tells us. The Lord. Notice, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into, the hand, into his hands, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. The Lord. And when you read the passage that I read for you from Jeremiah chapter 29, you'll see over and over again, the Lord declares, I am doing this. Now, it would be easy for the people of God to conclude that God had lost control. And many of them did. And why not? Everything was gone. Everything was all messed up. But through the inspiration of God, Daniel wants to set things straight at the very beginning of his book. He wants you to know that God is in control no matter how messed up the world is. Can I get an amen in this place? Man, if I had to work for it. Man. Now, this will not be the last time when Daniel will remind us of God's sovereignty in the midst of calamity. But he certainly wants to make that point clear at the very beginning of the book. And I want to make that point very clear and very strong. It's the simple phrase, God is in control. Amen? Regardless of what it looks like in the media, God is in control. For the people in exile, their identity was gone. Their land was gone. Their king was gone. The temple was gone. But you know what? Daniel wants them to know God is in control. And I believe this is a key point for us living in exile. We all want to live where there is no longer any death or mourning or crying or pain. But that place will only come after this world has passed away. And someone is here today and you feel like you've lost your identity. You feel like your life is collapsing around you. And I'm here to tell you, God is in control. And each of us need to ask God for the faith as we live in lonely exile here. Now, along with these early exiles were Daniel and his three friends, who must have been teenagers at this time, the time of their deportation. These boys found themselves hundreds of miles away from home, torn away from their families, and everything they knew. All around them were the Babylonians, speaking a strange language, engaging in strange customs, and worshiping strange gods. And the king ordered the chief of his court officials to bring into 
the king's service, some of the Israelites from the royal family of nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. King Nebuchadnezzar did not bring Daniel and his three friends into Babylonian to be field workers. He didn't bring them into Babylonian to be landscapers. He didn't bring them into Babylonians to be dishwashers. These men these boys were among the chosen from Judah to be part of this three-year intensive training program to learn the language and literature of the Babylonians, to become qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now, some considered that those who were involved in this three-year training program to be traitors because they were seen to be working for the enemy. They were compromising in their minds. But let me just say, compromise was the furthest thing from, from Daniel's mind. Daniel was following the instructions that God gave through the prophet Jeremiah, which we read earlier, and I'll read it again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, to Babylon, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. Again, notice that the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles whom I have sent in the exile. Don't forget, God is in. Actually, this phrase in Jeremiah says, whom I have sent in the exile, can be translated, whom I have carried into exile. The, the image that God has given through this Hebrew word is that he's come in and he's scooped up the people of God in his arms and he has lifted them up and he has carried them in his arms to be an exile. Taking them out of their land, away from their temple, away from their families. The Lord has done this. The Lord carried them into exile. And the Lord tells Jeremiah to write down this divine instruction so that we might know how to live in exile here. And the instruction of this part of Jeremiah 29 is twofold. First of all, be faithful in the ordinary things of life. 
Be faithful in the ordinary things of life. Look at the text. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters. And take their wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Notice how these, how ordinary these things are. Building houses, planting gardens, getting married, starting a family, having kids, those kids having kids. These are normal things. Not spiritually spectacular. Normal, everyday sort of things. Many of us believe that we can only glorify God if we are some sort or spin-off of Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. And we don't understand that God wants to be glorified through your normal, everyday life. When, he, when you get up on Monday morning to go to work, He wants to be glorified through you. As you work on your house, doing those honeydews, as you care for your yard, as you wash your cars, as you start a family, as you have kids, as you engage those kids in the life of this world, as those kids have kids, normal everyday stuff. And that's how we glorify God as we live in exile, is we seek to glorify Him by serving Him through just normal, simple Everyday stuff, not seeking to be spiritually spectacular or spectacular in any form at all. We have to remember the apostle taught us whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So, if we're going to find peace in Babylon, we must seek, seek to bring pleasure to God in our normal, everyday lives. Doing home maintenance, caring for our yards, loving our spouses, and enjoying our families. Jeremiah's second instruction was to engage Babylon and do not withdraw. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. Now, I believe that as Daniel and his companions read these divine instructions from the prophet Jeremiah, they came to conclusion as they sat at the beginning days of this three-year intensive training program, they came to the conclusion that this training program was the way that they could seek the welfare of the, of the city and it would be the way that they could speak into the culture of the Babylonians. They would learn their language and their customs. They would study their literature and their history. They would even learn about their deities. And all of this was a way to seek the welfare of the city and to assure the fact that they would have a voice in the direction of the nation. And you're going to see that in, as the book goes on. Daniel and his friends would say yes to pagan education. Their training included mathematics, astronomy, science, polytheism, which is a study of many gods, idols, and occult practices. 
They said yes to pagan education. They said yes to a political career in the service of a foreign king and government that stood in direct contradiction to their religion, to their politics, and to their national beliefs. But they said yes to a political career. They said yes to the changing of their names, their biblical names that were translated God is judge or Yahweh is gracious are now changed to names that are honoring pagan gods and deities. They made a commitment to seek the welfare of the city, believing that God had sent them there. And they would pray for that city, and they would seek for the welfare through, their, through its, its welfare, through their individual contributions to society. But they would say no to the king's food. Now, the, the text tells us that even though they were assigned a daily portion of food and wine, notice, from the king's table, that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Daniel said to the guard, please test your servants for 10 days, give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who ate from the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. Now, many have asked, why did these boys say yes to these other things, and no to the royal food? And some have concluded that the boy said no to the king's food because it defiled the biblical food laws of the book of Leviticus. Basically, that the royal food was not kosher. Now, others conclude that the food could have been offered to idols. And therefore, it would be spiritually contaminated. And even though it's easy to come to these conclusions, I don't think these are adequate answers to why Daniel and his free friend, three friends said no to the king's food. I believe Daniel's resolve goes deeper than some dietary restrictions and some pagan ritual. And I think you find in his word, resolved. Daniel resolved himself. This, this resolve in the Hebrew means that Daniel made this decision with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, and all of his strength. As we know, this is exactly how we are to love God. I believe that Daniel's resolve came from his covenant love for God. The Lord as his provider. The Lord as his Jehovah Jireh. The, the, notice the narrative makes a clear distinction between the royal food and wine from the king's table and the vegetables and water served to Daniel and his friends. Verse 5 tells us that the boys were assigned a daily amount of food and wine, notice, from the king's table. Whereas the vegetables and water served to Daniel and his friends are never mentioned from coming from the, the royal table. 
You see, in the ancient world, sharing food with someone at someone's table was a way of, of cementing your, your covenant bond with that person. As the Lord did with Abraham under the oaks, as Jesus did at the Last Supper, as we will do at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The idea of partaking food from someone's table means, means that you have a covenant connection with that person. For Daniel to eat from the king's table would have been seen as Daniel declaring his total dependence and loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar as his provider. And this would be a defilement of Daniel's covenant love to God. Basically, Daniel is saying, you can, I will put myself to diligent study of your laws, your literature, and your religion. I will serve in your government to the best of my ability. You can call me whatever name you want to call me. You can take me away from my family, my country, my temple, but you cannot take away my covenant love for God. The Lord is my God, and I will praise Him. He's my Father's God, and I will exalt Him and Him alone. Brothers and sisters, this is a key point for us living as exiles in a foreign land. You can have everything I have. You can take everything I am. You can have all my dreams and all my hopes. But you cannot take my love for God. It's not for sale. It's not a bargaining chip. It is something that's mine. And you can't have it. Amen? That's what Daniel's saying here. He's saying, here I stand, loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here I stand, and I can do no other. So he, that is the guard, agreed to this and tested them for ten days, the scripture says. And at the end of the ten days, he, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the, at the royal food. Now, why would this guard agree to such a thing. It, the, the narrative tells us he was frightened by the whole idea. He wasn't for it at first. But again, I want you to notice that verse 9 tells us that God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Remember, God is in control. Can we say it? God is in control. I also want to remind you that this covenant love is a two-way relationship. If you think your covenant love is resolved for God, I think it's beyond our comprehension to know God's covenant love for us. God loves you. And He is resolved to love you. To never let you go. Never let you wander. Never, ever, ever. He loves you. Daniel resolved to love God. And God had resolved to love Daniel. As the Lord himself declares, they will be my people. And I will be their God. 
The promise of God's covenant love is for you today. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Don't surrender your covenant love for God to anyone or anything, regardless of the circumstances you might find yourself. You are a child of God, and His covenant love endures forever. Amen? Now, these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. It seems that the boys had now had graduated from Nebuchadnezzar's three-year training program, and they graduated with honors. As a matter of fact, Daniel and his three friends were found to be ten times better than all the others in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Remember what God had promised the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Even though we are living as exiles in a strange land, God is calling us today as he called his people back in the book of Daniel to worship. Even though you might feel that your world has collapsed, God has a plan to give you a future and a hope. Even though you might be here today and you feel trapped by some sort of captivity, God is calling you to pray to him. And he promises to listen to you. The challenge today is for you and I, together with all of God's people living in exile, to stand firm in our covenant love for God. The promise is clear. Seek him and you will find him. When you search for him with all of your heart. Let's do that today. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you thanking you for this manual of how to live as exiles. Lord, we come to you admitting that we often live our lives being more in concert with the world than with the cause of Christ. And for that we ask for forgiveness. Pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts today, that you would cement in our minds, our hearts, right upon our hearts, Lord, the truth that you are in control, that establishing your kingdom is your number one priority in us and through us, and that we should live as exiles, giving you glory in all the things that we do. Lord, we come to you today telling you that our covenant love for you is not for sale. It's something that no one can have. And pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit that you would just truly, truly give us a strong resolve that with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength, that we would serve and love our God. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.